We're reading this morning from Psalm 31, and we'll read verses 9 to 16. You can find this either in your service sheets or on page 559 in the Church Bibles. Psalm 31, starting at verse 9. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish, and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction, and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours, and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies. For those who, from those who pursue me, let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Louisa. Do please take your seats. If, I don't know if any of the, um, the children who've come in in the last few minutes, if they'd like to go and join the other children in the hall. If you'd like to, you don't have to, but, but if they'd like to, do please feel free. Do you, would someone take, just, just help show him where they go? Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Johnny, the adults have to stay in here. <laughs> Let's just pray. Lord, I pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit, that you would help me to speak, and that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I heard a story about a vicar who parked his car illegally and left a note on the windscreen saying, I couldn't find anywhere to park. Forgive us our trespasses. And when he came back, there was a parking ticket under his windscreen wiper on the, on the, on the windscreen and uh, a little note beside it saying, lead us not into temptation. So. <laughs> 
What he was looking for was forgiveness and mercy, but he didn't find it. Our greatest need, our greatest need is for forgiveness. Of all the verses that make up the Lord's Prayer, we've been studying the Lord's Prayer through Lent, and this is the last one we're going to look at. But of all the verses in the Lord's Prayer, this verse asking our Heavenly Father to forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us is the most important petition in the Lord's Prayer. How do we know that? We know it very simply because the moment Jesus had finished giving the Lord's Prayer to his disciples, he goes back and repeats those verses. In fact, not only repeats them, but he, he, he basically raises the temperature on them. He says this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. And I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds pretty serious. If you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. So our greatest need is forgiveness. And you you might think, well, well, hang on a minute, surely our greatest need is love. I mean, love, uh, Paul said, the greatest of all is love. And actually, you'd be absolutely right if you said that. Our greatest need is for love. But the hardest aspect of love and the most powerful aspect of love is forgiveness. In fact, you cannot truly love or be loved without forgiveness. If I held a grudge every time Kirsty upset me or hurt me over 32 years of marriage, well, actually, it wouldn't have been that many times, so maybe I better turn that round, actually. If, if, if Kirsty held a grudge for each time that I have upset her or hurt her over 32 years of marriage, and she didn't forgive me for those times, then she would not possibly be able to love me. In fact, she'd hate me. Where there's no forgiveness, there's no love. But forgiveness isn't easy. In fact, it's unnatural. Human beings are wired to hit back, to take revenge, to want to get even. It's our flawed, fallen state. Every war, every act of violence, every critical word, every jealous rage, every broken relationship is at some level a failure to forgive. And lack of forgiveness is deadly. Cain couldn't forgive Abel for being more blessed than him, and he killed him. Joseph's brothers couldn't forgive his young arrogance, and so they sold him into slavery. King Saul tried to kill the young David because he couldn't forgive him his popularity. The pages of the Bible, and of course the pages of history, are littered with the deadly poison of unforgiveness. And as this prayer powerfully tells us, We need forgiveness, and we need to forgive. The two are inextricably linked, just like the command to love God and to love others are tied closely together. The Apostle John tells us that if we claim to love God, but refuse to love others, we're liars. 
And so this prayer tells us that, as, uh, that if we ask for forgiveness while holding out on forgiving others, then our prayer won't be answered. We won't be forgiven. To forgive is unnatural. In fact, to many non-Christians, it's completely incomprehensible. I mean, of course, everybody can forgive small misdemeanors or mistakes. But when Gordon Wilson, whose daughter was murdered by the IRA in the Enniskillen bombing, went on TV in the aftermath of the tragedy and said, I bear no ill will, I bear no grudge. It went viral in the media. Not because everyone thought, wow, what an amazing guy, although many did, but because half the population was outraged. They couldn't accept that a parent could forgive terrorists for bombing, for killing their child. To forgive like that is unnatural because it's supernatural. It it came out of Gordon's deeply held love of the Lord Jesus and the knowledge that Gordon himself had been forgiven by the God who loved him and had sent his son to die for him just as he did for each one of us. But if we're honest... Although we and the world desperately need forgiveness, we're not very good at it. I want to ask you to think now of of one person who you know in your life, uh, or it could be a group of people, who perhaps more than any other, you most bear a grudge against, you most feel enmity in your heart, you most feel hurt by you most feel irritated by, you most feel envious of, or they threaten you, or it it might be your boss, or a co-worker, or somebody who works for you. It might be your mother or your father, a brother or sister, a husband or wife, or an ex-husband, or an ex-wife, a boyfriend or girlfriend. It might be social workers. It might be a child. It might be a neighbour. It might be a doctor or a teacher, or it might be your vicar. It might be a person sitting in the pews here this morning. And when we think of them, we feel anger or hurt or aggrieved. We feel snubbed. We feel put upon. We feel exasperated. We feel cheated or let down or bullied. or We just feel hung out there, left alone to fend for ourselves. There might be one of a thousand different emotions. Or there may be just an empty void because we've shut out the pain. Trying to restore the, late, restore the relationship would be just too painful. We don't want to go there. Why should we forgive them? And what does it mean to forgive? What does it look like? How do we forgive? Well, let's start with why forgive. Some people say that it's not fair to expect everyone to forgive everything that's happened because some people have been so badly abused, so badly treated, that it's just unfair and unrealistic to expect them to forgive that person. What about a woman, perhaps, who's been tortured and raped? Or the family of a teenage boy who's committed suicide after being bullied so badly? Do you really expect them to forgive the perpetrators? And I suppose my answer to that is is this. If they were not Christians, I would not expect them to forgive them. That kind of forgiveness, as I've said, is unnatural. 
But for a Christian, it's not only possible, but it's essential for two or three reasons. Firstly, we all need God's forgiveness. The Apostle Paul said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us needs God's forgiveness. And without his forgiveness, we would be permanently separated by our sin from the love of God. But we're not. Why? Because God himself, in Jesus, did this for us. He endured arrest on false charges. He was whipped to within an inch of his life. He was mocked and humiliated. He was spat upon, stripped naked, beaten. He had six-inch steel spikes driven through his wrists and his ankles, nailed to a cross and hung up for hours in absolute torture of physical and spiritual agony until he died, separated from God as he paid the price for your sins and my sins. Why? In order that you and I can be forgiven and set free from the past, and have our relationship with God restored. That's the first reason, because God forgave us. As Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, in Christ, God forgave you. Secondly, we should do it because that's what Jesus did. Forgiving others was the trademark of Jesus' ministry, and one which actually got him into quite a bit of trouble. In forgiving the sins of the paralytic, Jesus was the first, for the first time accused of blasphemy, and he came under the scrutiny of the religious establishment. He refused to condemn the woman caught in adultery. He told her to stop sinning, but he forgave her her sins. And ultimately, of course... It was on the cross that Jesus showed us that there are no limits to forgiveness. As he hung there in absolute agony and shame, some of his final few words were among the most important words he ever spoke. Praying to his heavenly Father on behalf of those who had ordered his execution and nailed him to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And when we hear those words of Jesus, we know that we can never find a good enough reason not to forgive someone. Well, what about a person who continues to abuse me? What about someone who carries on gossiping behind my back or telling lies or bullying me or my child or my wife? Do you really expect me to forgive them while they're still inflicting harm on me or on those I love? And that's a really good question. And it leads me to the third reason why we should forgive no matter what. And that is that forgiveness is the way to healing and wholeness. When I think about this question, it's really important to understand what forgiveness is and what it's not. As R.T. Kendall says in what is probably the best known and most widely read modern book on forgiveness, he says forgiveness is not approving of what someone's done. Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery, but he didn't approve of her behaviour. Forgiveness is not excusing what someone has done, um, although sometimes people think it is, which is why they find it hard to forgive. It's not excusing it. It's not saying it doesn't matter, because it does. Forgiveness is not justifying what they've done. It's not finding reasons or excuses why they couldn't help themselves. It's not 
pardoning somebody, if we forgive a rapist, we're not saying we don't want them to serve their time or, or, or be punished. There are consequences for sin. Forgiving people doesn't change that. Forgiveness isn't about restoring relationships as well, although it often leads to that, which, which is a wonderful thing. But we have no control over the other person, whether they will be restored into relationship with us. So it may never be restored, but we must still forgive. And it's not about pretending we're not hurt. We are hurt, and the pain is real. I know people who've said to me, many people who've said to me, I can never, ever forgive them for that. And yet we must. So what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is being totally aware of what someone has done, but deciding to forgive them anyway. It's a choice to keep no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians says, love keeps no record of wrongs. But sometimes we we do. I I know a lady who, at least up until a few years ago, could not let go of the record of her husband's wrongs. I don't know exactly how he had wronged her, but she divorced him, and since that time, she's been eaten up by her inability to forgive. She's a Christian, and she'd even developed a whole theology of why, in her particular case, her husband was beyond forgiveness. And she would try and convince others of her reasons and arguments. And the really sad thing was that anyone who knew her could see that it wasn't her ex-husband who was now suffering from her lack of forgiveness, but it was her. She was obsessed with it. Someone has said that refusing to forgive someone is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I think that holds a lot of truth. And that's why it's so important that we forgive even the worst evils perpetrated against us or our family or our friends because if we don't it will eat us alive and destroy our lives while making little difference to the person who we won't forgive. Forgiveness is about refusing to get back at the person who's wronged you. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome says do not take revenge my friends but leave room for God's wrath for it's written It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Forgiveness also includes being careful about who we tell. Because if someone's wronged us, we might need to share that with one or two other people in confidence. But we need to make sure that we don't publicise their wrongdoing because that in itself is a way of getting back at them, of getting even. Forgiving someone means being gracious and merciful because that's what God is like and he calls us to be the same. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. And finally, and perhaps the most important thing of all, forgiveness is internal. It's what happens here in my heart. It's not an external act. I mean, although we can, in certain situations, tell someone that we've forgiven them, and it can be helpful, that's not the essence of forgiveness. Forgiveness is about what happens in here. It's about changing our own attitude to the person who's wronged us. Forgiveness has 
nothing to do whatsoever with whether the other person says sorry. It might be easier to forgive them if they've said sorry, but it's not a condition for forgiving somebody. They may never say sorry, in which case, do you want to carry that poison around with you for the rest of your life? Of course you don't. You've got to let them go. And finally, you might ask, because this bothered me when I first read these verses many, many years ago. You might ask, what happens if I don't forgive? And Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. What does that mean? Does that mean that I lose my salvation? Does it mean that if I don't forgive others, that none of my sins are forgiven? Will I I go to hell? Will I be separated from God forever? Well, many theologians and biblical scholars have argued over these words, but I go with R.T. Kendall on this one. Jesus here is talking to his own disciples. He's teaching his own disciples. Followers. He's not talking to people outside the faith. He's teaching them how to pray as disciples of Jesus. And so my understanding is that this isn't a salvation issue. We're saved by grace, not by works. But it's a massive discipleship issue, and it's a massive life issue. It's a huge, it has a huge effect on our quality of life. Because if we refuse to forgive, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. We're putting a barrier between us and God. If we refuse to forgive, our prayers will go largely unanswered. We will receive little in the way of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit. If we refuse to forgive, we will know little of God's love in our hearts. Little of the Spirit's anointing on our lives and little joy in our relationship with God or with others. In effect, we're saying we'd rather punish the other person than have an intimate relationship with God who has done everything for us to totally forgive us. In other words, we're pushing God away. I had a good friend who struggled with forgiveness, so much so that when his brother inadvertently upset him badly one day, he stopped talking to his brother for years and years, many years. And it was really, really sad because I was close to both of them. They were both really good friends of mine. And since I was really good friends with them, I did my best to try and restore the relationship. I tried to get him to soften his heart towards his brother, but he was having none of it. And then I made a really big mistake one day because I engineered a gathering at which both brothers would be invited without the other one knowing. And in the hope that when he saw his brother, he would kind of his heart would melt and they would make up and and it would be okay. He was so angry with the attempted manipulation that he stopped talking to me for months and years. And 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 it really hurt me because it seemed so unreasonable. After all, I was only trying to restore this broken relationship. In my mind, I was on the side of right and he was wrong. And then this idea came to me. I'm sure it came from the Holy Spirit. And the idea was to write him a letter, unreservedly apologising for any way in which I'd hurt him in the past, and to ask his forgiveness and tell him of my desire to restore our friendship. But then I found myself struggling, because why should I do that? I mean, he's hurt me now, he's the one who's broken off the relationship, and I realised 
I realized then that I was carrying unforgiveness in my heart toward him. And so reluctantly, I got out a pen and paper and I wrote the letter, apologizing unreservedly for hurting him in any way. And I prayed like mad, and to cut a long story short, not only were we reconciled, but a few months after that, both brothers and myself were all reconciled together. The relationships were restored. That's the power of forgiveness. It's the power of love. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Love wins. But there's no love where unforgiveness lingers in our hearts. God doesn't give us any options. But where there's forgiveness, love wins. And you know, I just want to conclude this morning by saying, if there's anybody here, and I know there are, if there's anybody here who knows that they're still harbouring bad thoughts, hurt and pain on, the account, on account of someone else, what they've done to you in the past, how they've hurt you. Later on, after taking communion, I really do strongly advise you, go for prayer with the prayer ministry team. They'd love to pray with you and ask God to help lift that off you so that you can be set free and know a more intimate walk with God as that, as that, that hurt is taken away. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done on the cross for each one of us to make it possible for us to be forgiven. And, and Lord, there are some of us here this morning who we still feel the pain of times when we've been hurt. And if we're honest, we still harbour thoughts that aren't wholesome about those people. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would come by your spirit and heal us. Draw us to yourself and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the music team are going to come up now as we um, declare that God's grace is enough. What he's done for us is enough. Let's stand to sing.